we're going to open our prayers. We look at the word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we bring the word. Help us to see what you would want us to see from this. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. So Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. We want to just look at this real quick. According to Micah, Jesus had the Savior was going to be born in Bethlehem. Minor problem because Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Problem with that is it's about 70 miles between Nazareth and Bethlehem if you come straight down. But the Jews would not have gone through Samaria. So when they were coming down, they probably went through either the Jordan River or to the Mediterranean, which made it a much longer trip. And we have the bigger problem of she's nine months pregnant. Now, many of you women who have had babies, would, would you like to take a, a 70, even a 70-mile trip without the comfort of a car? You wouldn't want to take a 70-mile trip in a car, much less having to walk it because they were poor. They, you know, all of our movies and stuff show Mary riding on a donkey. That didn't happen. They were not a rich family. How do we know? Because when they went in and made their offering, they, have, they offered two turtle doves, which was the the lowest offering you could make for your cleansing. So they, they, we know that they were a very poor family. They would not have been able to afford a donkey, which means Mary most likely walked the whole way, or Joseph made some kind of cart for her to be, <laughs> be moved around in. And the whole problem is normally we think of these songs of the little baby not crying. Uh, somehow we think that Mary had a pain-free delivery she went through the same problems that every single person goes through. So at nine months pregnant, she's having to make at least a 70-mile trip, more likely about 120 miles because they would not have taken the direct route. Normally, that trip would have taken five to six days if you could have gone at about uh, six, uh, 10 miles a day, six, 10 to 20 miles a day. But a pregnant woman is not going to walk that far every single day so it probably took her at least a week if not two to three weeks to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So this is just setting the stage because we get these little pictures of this was so easy she made it with no problems yes God would have protected that baby but there's still a lot of issues that we kind of need to remember this was it was a supernatural pregnancy but it was not a supernatural <laughs> delivery. Jesus didn't do a didn't come out by cesarean section from the father. <laughs> so it was a big event. So she was there. And when they get to, after taking a long time to get there, they come to a new problem. Bethlehem is overwhelmed with people. Now Bethlehem at that time was a town of about 1,000 to 2,000 people. And all of a sudden, they had everybody that was, that was born of the line of David and others coming into town. Now, just think about this. If, some, if we here in Chloride 
got bombarded by even a thousand people coming in to be taxed, what a chaos would there be? We have one very small hotel and only a handful of places where people could even stay. This was what's happening in Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph get there and it says her time came. What does that mean? Most likely her water broke and she was in labor contractions. <laughs> now, those of us who have been, are married to women know what that means. We get them into the car while they're, while they're not wanting to get into the car and not wanting to go anywhere. <laughs> and we get them to a hospital <laughs> in our day. For Mary, it would have been you call, called mom and, maybe, and, and a midwife would show up if you were lucky. Your aunts, your, your sisters, whatever would show up. Mary is nowhere near her family. Yeah. This is something that is very interesting when we think about what is going on. We think of this such a nice, easy, simple thing. But it was a trial. Everything about this event was a trial. And they get there and they can't find any place to stay. And I can almost picture, you know, Joseph, you know, when my wife was delivering our first, firstborn, I didn't realize she was so strong. She almost broke my hand when she was holding it. And that pain gets pretty bad, I am assuming, because my pain for being holding a hand was very hard. <laughs> but all of this is going on, and Joseph is like, I don't know what's going on. This isn't my job to deliver a baby in the first place. Mom's supposed to be here. The midwife's supposed to be here. Aunts are supposed to be here. Sisters, you know, this is, the women are supposed to be here to do this, and Joseph is the one that's there. Now, it is possible, and we can speculate, did the in have some women there that might have helped her you know was somebody calling the the midwife of bethlehem it's a possibility we don't know all we know is that she goes into labor with no family anywhere nearby now that has got to be a very terrifying thing in and of itself no family nobody she knows is there now i even think of how hard she would have thought it was just to be taking this trip that she was forced to take because the government said you are going to go down there and she's having to make this trip when I'm sure she would have rather just stayed in Nazareth and I've always wondered did Mary and Joseph know that Jesus needed to be born in Bethlehem vaguely they probably did but it probably wasn't the first thing on their brains to say we got to get to Jerusalem we got to get to Bethlehem for this baby to be born Otherwise, I think they would have left a lot earlier than nine months into the pregnancy. But God says he needs to be born in Bethlehem, and he arranged it in a way that was very hard for them to accomplish. And then they get there, no end, all these different problems. And why am I giving all this thing to us? I just want us to think about how often does God ask us to do something and what do we first think of when it's time for God to give us? All right, this is going to be real easy. God told me to do this, so everything is going to be perfect, and it's going to be easy. I've been walking with God for over 50 years, and one thing I have learned very much is every time he tells me to do something, it does not get easy. Obstacles get thrown in the path. Trials get thrown into the path. All kinds of things happen. It's the very thing I warn people when, I, when they're going, well, I want to do some kind of service. I'm going to be ready for the attacks. Get ready for the trials. God is always going to sit there and say, are you going to be faithful in spite of the trials? Always. 
And we need to be sitting back and saying, God, what trials are there? And I listed up a whole bunch of your trials. And I don't think I even concluded all the trials that Mary and Joseph would have had. And they went out. And this baby was delivered. And this is a great baby because it's the son of God. This is a special baby, but it is not a perfect, unusual baby because the baby's going to cry. Babies cry when they get hungry. Babies cry when they have messy diapers. <laughs> they cry frequently, and Jesus was not going to be free of crying because how does a baby communicate? Through crying. Jesus was not born saying, hey, mom, I need to be fed. Uh, mom, I uh, have to go to the bathroom. Would you take care of this? He was a regular baby. Well, technically not regular baby. He was 100% God, too. <laughs> But he was human. He was a human baby that needed all these things to care, even though he's 100% God and very weak and dependent upon Mary and Joseph for that period of time. Yeah, this has always amazed me that God would come as an infant because an infant is totally defenseless and needs to be helped at every point. An infant needs to learn everything one of the great debates is when did Jesus know that he was God? And I don't have that answer. I have no idea. He was God from the very beginning. But when did that baby cognitively know that it was more than just a baby? At what point? We don't know. We know for a fact that by age 12, he knew that he was God. Because he told Mary and Joseph when he went to the temple, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? So by age 12, he definitely knew. And I don't think that's when he learned. I believe he learned, you know, was cognizant of it long before age 12. But the only thing in the scriptures tell us is that by age 12, he knew who he was. But for us, how many times does it take us to learn something from God? I find it so amazing that God has to keep telling us things over and over again. In the scriptures, he keeps telling people things over and over again. It, it's quite fun when we go through a book and then we finish that book, we go through another book and, Jesus, and God's saying the same thing he said in the previous book. And you get to another book and he's saying the same thing he said in the previous book. Slightly different, but he keeps saying the same thing. Why? Because we as humans are hard-headed. We have to be told something over and over again. How many times did your parents or maybe us parents say, how many times do I have to tell you to our kids? You know, as, as if they weren't, as if we didn't have the same problem when we were kids and our, grand, and our parents probably had the same problem with the grandparents, the grandparents had the same problem with their, the great-grandparents. Why do we have such a problem? Several reasons. Number one, we usually don't like what we're being told, so we try to forget it. Sometimes we just are totally being stubborn and being rebellious. But another part is how easy we forget. Uh, I wish that I could remember everything that I have ever studied, especially in the scriptures. But I have forgotten so much in the scriptures. I have forgotten so much in my computer training. I have forgotten so much in my business training. And sometimes I'm going, how can I keep forgetting all this stuff? I, I love this stuff. How can I forget it? And I've shared with you, my greatest thing when I get to heaven, I'm going to be glad that I don't forget things. Whatever God tells me, I won't forget because I'll have a perfect brain and a perfect body. So whatever I learn and whatever I know, I won't forget. But for us, 
How easy is it for us to not do what we're supposed to do? Sometimes, honestly, not do what we're supposed to do. Sometimes, just because we're rebellious. But how easy is it for us to forget? The children of Israel were taken out of the land of Egypt, and what did they kept doing? They kept arguing and fighting with God and forgetting what he's done. Ten plagues on Egypt took them out of the land, and when they're standing out of the Red Sea, what do they say? You took us out here so we would die in the wilderness. Well, you know, all of a sudden, God lost his power, and yet they did not recognize that God still had power in spite of what was going on. As soon as they crossed the Red Sea, they get out there for a couple days, they're thirsty, and go, we're, we're dying of thirst. We're going to kill you, Moses, because you, you're, we're, you brought us out here to kill us. Forgot that God still had the power to give them, and he gave them water. How easy is it for us to forget what God has done for us? This is one of the reasons I tell us, you know, tell everybody, I recommend that you keep some kind of answered prayer book around. So when God answers your prayers and does things for you, write them down. So that when you're in the middle of a great big trial and you're forgetting that God has helped you, you can go back and say, Oh, okay, he answered this prayer, he answered this prayer, he answered this prayer, he answered this prayer. And you know the value of that is? The greatest, one of the great hymns we sing is count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. The more you focus on the good things that God has done, the more you will be reminded of how good God is to you. The opposite side is true also. The more you focus on all the bad things that are happening to you, you forget all the good things that are happening to you. And you'll be one, oh, I never have anything good happen to me. Nothing has ever happened to me ever good in my entire life. And you've, we've all heard somebody say that. We've all, maybe, unfortunately, maybe we've been the one that said that once or twice. We need to be careful because God loves us. And he has a plan. He has a plan for us always. And this is something that's very important. I can picture Mary and Joseph on this trip. You know, uh, even, when the, even when it's called. Okay, Mary, we've got, we've got, to, go to, we've got to go to Bethlehem. Now we, she, she wasn't a perfect woman, and he wasn't a perfect man, and I'm sure they were in there going, this is dumb, we can't go there. You can't handle this trip. How are you going to make it? How are we going to make it? How are you going to make it? Because you should not be traveling at this point in your, in your pregnancy. And I, you know, we picture her not complaining anywhere, but uh, especially you women who've had a baby, you know, how would you be on that two-week two trip, three-week trip, having to be nine months pregnant, even if you were riding on a donkey, which would be a terrible thing to be doing at nine months pregnant. <laughs> Sore backs, <laughs> tired. Hormones running and getting, getting uh, irritated at every, every bad thing, and she's having to take a long, arduous trip. Joseph is having to listen to any complaints that she made. Maybe, you know, he loves her and everything, but still, it's going to be, how long can you love somebody and still listen to nothing but complaints without being, you know, reactive, reactive yourself? Then he gets there, and nobody has a place for them. And we don't know how many places he went to to find it said there was no room for him at the inn. And it's possible they only had one in Bethlehem because it was a small town. Family didn't have any room for him because they've been all filled up with other family members. And they finally get offered a stable. 
And we look at it and go, a stable? <laughs> you want to go into a stable? And in spite of what we see in all our nativity scenes, it wasn't one of these little wooden things with a, with a cover on it. It was most likely a cave where the animals were, were put into. And a cave that has been filled with animals is not going to be a very nice smelling place. It would not be a wonderful place to be in. It doesn't say that there weren't any animals in there either. It doesn't tell us that there were or not. But there would not have been a wonderful place to give birth to a baby. Unsanitary, I'm sure they cleaned it up as best they could where she was going to be. No bed. Maybe some straw. You know, and she gives birth to Jesus. Have you ever really thought about this? The God of the universe the king of all kings, born in a smelly, stinky stable. <laughs> to parents who had nothing. You know, we would think, you know, okay, God's going to come to this earth. He's going to pick, uh, as the wise men when they went to Herod, you know, he's going to pick the, the best, ha best house in town to be born in, have a silver spoon in his mouth, have, ev have everything he'd ever want. And his birth was to a family that had little to nothing, good, hard-working, you know, husband and Joseph, but there with nothing special. Probably had times when there was a little bit of hunger involved because the meals would have been a little harder to get. Had to learn to work as a carpenter, most likely, or a workman, whatever, whatever that was, and be able to sit back and say, all of this was going on. And yet, when we are called by God to do anything, we have this expectation that everything's going to go perfect for us. God is going to give us abundant supply of everything we need. Not necessarily true on any of these things. Look at any of our people in the Bible that you look at. Some of them were wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. He still had some problems. He was... He was traveling around with his very beautiful wife and would go into a new town and say, okay, you just tell them you're my sister because I don't want to die because you're so beautiful. And one of those times happened when she was 70 years old and he's saying, okay, just tell them that you're my sister because I don't want to die because of how beautiful you are. Which is speaking quite highly of how beautiful Sarah must have been even at that age. That the king would want to put her into his harem because, and, and Abraham was worried about it. So he was willing to lie. We look at somebody like Joseph. Joseph had a really wonderful life. Favored of his father, given special coat. Brothers hated him because of all the favoritism. Sold him into slavery. Finally got everything working as a, as a slave and being the top of the house and becomes the master of the, the house outside of the, out of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape and he gets thrown into prison. His life went from favorite son to slave to prisoner. And we're going, God uh, was that fair for him. But you all know the story, he was right where he needed to be to get promoted to second in charge of, of, of Egypt. How many times has God done things to us that looks like it's a total wrong thing, it's miserable life, and then we find out if we're patient enough that it was right where we needed to be for God to work. Mary and Joseph were right where they needed to be for the answers to, to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. 
Now, they weren't looking at that in that, that format. But we need to be careful because one of my favorite verses, as you know, is Romans 8:28. for all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And I've, over and over again, I have seen it happen that whatever is going on is God's got a plan for. And I love it that it says all things. It's not all the things I do right. It's not all the good things that happen to me. Even when I totally mess up everything, that's part of all things. If others mess things up for me, it's still part of all things. All things will work together for good. Mary and Joseph were probably looking at this is not the time to be traveling. We're going to be making a long trip. Now, they didn't have Romans 8.28 in their in theirs, all they had is some of the verses that said, God's ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, God says, I provide for you. you know, they still had the same principle. But how many times do we begin to not trust God because of the hard things that happen to us? What is the trial? God gives us so many trials to say, will you trust me in this situation? Will you believe what I have taught you in this situation? Many years ago, I heard Chuck Smith, and I don't know if he's the original one that said this. He goes, don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. So what are we doing when God trusts us? He's saying, you said you believed it when things were easy. Do you believe it when things get hard? And it is real easy to say, God, I think you're going to trust. I trust you in everything. I believe that you're going to give me all this stuff. I believe that you're going to fulfill all your problems. And then we get into darkness and God puts us through a test and we're going, oh, gee, do I really believe what I was taught? Do I really believe who he is? Jesus came to this world to live a perfect life, to be the sacrifice on the cross. He was born with the intent to die. Now, we all were born and we're going to die and we know that, but Jesus was born and knew that his death was going to be the cross. Now, when he knew that, I don't know, but he knew because he told the disciples over and over again, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to pay this debt, and I'm going to resurrect. They kept forgetting that he was saying because it didn't make sense to them. But he was born to die on that cross for our sins. Our part is to accept that death on the cross and then to believe what he says and what he does and this is what is so important for us. When Mary and Joseph got into Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn. For us, is there room for Jesus in our heart? You know, I'm, I know mo many of the people here, and I know many of you are Christians, and that's great. You've made room for him in your heart. But have you made room for him to be your Lord as well? Not just Savior, but Lord and Master. Now, here in America, we have a hard time with the idea of Lord. We have the whole uh, problem with the idea of somebody telling us what to do, period. It's one of the problems with America and Americans. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. We don't like our government. We vote a new gov government in. And all we need to do is put up with them for a couple years, and then we'll just vote them out, hopefully. doesn't always work, but that's our, that's our goal. We try to vote them out. Most of the world doesn't get to vote out their governments. And when God comes into our life, he's not saying, okay, I'm waiting for you to vote me out. 
He says, I am Lord and Master, and he expects to have your whole life given to him to do what you're being asked to do by him. And this is the important thing. God gives us certain commandments. One of the greatest ones, he says, go and make disciples of all the world. And this is important for us as Christians. Are we actively telling people about Jesus? Are we actively helping people grow? You know, the whole idea of a disciple is not, we look at it and go, well, Jesus had those disciples. Well, what made them disciples? A disciple means a learner, somebody who learns. If you can remember back in colleges about 100 years ago or more, you did not take a major. You studied a discipline. And you were a disciple of that discipline. What? You were a learner. You were a learner about a topic of study. We as Christians should be studying the discipline of God and studying it well. Which means we need teachers, we need to instructors and all of that stuff that happened, which are pastors and teachers and studies. We have the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit as our teacher, but we need to be taught. And we need to apply what, we're, what we learn. And that application is the hardest part. God is going to help you apply it, whether you want to or not. Uh, I don't remember how many of you remember in school when you walk in and the, and the teacher might go, we're having a pop quiz today. And you're going, uh, I wasn't ready for that. Well, it's part of the reason why the pop quiz was there. But God is really good about giving us pop quizzes. He goes, oh, you learned this topic about love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, whatever it might be. Let's give you a test. Are you ready to be obedient to what you learned? And, you know, I tell people this all the time. Our test is equivalent to where we are. If you're studying God and you're in preschool with him on some topic, you're going to get a pretty simple test. But the one thing about it is if you remember it, for you at that age, it wasn't a simple test. You know, and I share people with this. You know, when you're, in, when you're in first grade and you're learning 1 plus 1 is 2, 2 plus 2 is 4, and you've got a test, that would be a tough test for you. If you got that test in high school, you're going to be looking at the teacher like, what are you talking about? That's not even a test. I know that stuff. For us as Christians, God's going to give us a test equivalent to wherever we are at. If you know a lot about his love and about his mercy and about his testing, your test will be equivalent to what level you're at. So we need to be very careful because we don't want to look at somebody and go, man, that was a hard test. I hope I don't go through anything like that. Well, when you finally get ready for that test, you will be there. Those of us who've been around longer, we can't look at somebody and go, how did you fail a test so simple? Because it was not simple for them. <laughs> Might have been simple for us, which means we we're never going to get that test because it's simple. Mary and Joseph had a pretty, pretty hard test here to, to, to go forward with. And my challenge for us is let's make room for God. Let's learn to make him Lord. What does that mean? It, a lot of it is just to surrender. It's not easy to surrender, and I understand that. It takes a long time to learn to surrender. And even when you think you know how to surrender, you haven't learned how to surrender. Because the one thing I've learned over the years is whatever I think I know about God, I don't even know what I'm talking about in most cases. When I, when I think about how big God is, you know, almost every Christian has heard people say, you know, hear people say, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Well, that's wonderful, but that's still too small. He is every time as well. 
He is, in, he is outside of time, so he controls all of time. You know, whatever other dimensions are out there, and I love physics, and physics is saying there's quite a few dimensions, he's bigger than all those dimensions. He encompasses everything. How loving is God? No matter how much you think about love, you're not going to know how much love he is. How much does God know? He knows everything. And even when we say that, we're going, okay, what is everything? And as soon as we try to figure out what everything is, we're still too small because there's things beyond whatever we know. So we will constantly be learning about God. Constantly. And when we think we know anything about him, he's going to show us that we still don't know anything about him. I've only been studying him for 40, uh, 52 years and still don't know everything there is to know about him because every time I think I know something about him, he shows me that I don't even hardly know anything about him. And you know what? I'm glad that that's true. I am glad that there are things I don't understand about God and, I, and that I have to learn about God all the time. Because if I knew everything there was to know about God, God's not big enough to be God. We need to be able to challenge ourselves. I want to know God in a deeper and deeper way. I want to know him more. I want to know more about him. I want to know more of his blessings. I want to know more of his love. I want to know more of his grace. I want to know more of his mercy. And then, as he gives us more, he's going to say, now apply what you know. Apply what you know. He starts teaching us how to be loving. And it, you start learning how to be loving, and all of a sudden, God puts somebody that is very difficult to love in your path. You know, for wherever level you're at, maybe it's somebody that's not that hard to love, but you know, later on, it'll be somebody that's really hard to love. He teaches you about forgiving, and then he gives you some reason to have to forgive. Don't mistrust God when those things happen. Say, God, I just want to follow you. I want to continue trusting in you in all that you do. So our goal today is make room in your heart for him. Make room for him to be Lord and Master if he's already there. Because that's what it takes for us. We should always be growing more in love with God, becoming more like him. In Corinthians, it says that we go from glory to glory. From glory to glory, he's changing us into his likeness and image. And this is a beautiful thing because it's him that does the work. You know, I meet, and I've said this so many times, I've met so many people over the years that say, I'm trying to be a good Christian. And I tell them, quit trying, let God crucify your flesh and just let him make you who he is. Because Christ comes into us, the Holy Spirit comes into us, and he changes us from the inside out and makes my desires to be more like him. And then as I surrender to him and I get crucified in my flesh, I become more like him. And that's what is important for us. We need to become more like him, open up our heart and make room for him and follow him. And then we share with others. So this is my challenge for us. Are you ready to just say, God, I need you? Number one, if you don't know him, including the internet, if you don't know him, today's the day to say, God, I'm a sinner. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. You died on that cross for me and rose from the dead. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life and, and save me. For those of us who are Christians, today should be the day, God, I want to know how to follow you deeper. I want to know how to follow you more. Help me to make you more and more like you. And this is where we're at. Lord, we ask you to bless everybody sitting here today. Lord, help each person, those who don't know you, to make a decision 
today for you. And Lord, for all of your children that are here, we ask that today you would help us to make that decision to follow you in a deeper way. That we will take up that challenge to say, God, I want to make a decision to make you greater in my life, to follow you and have you change who I am. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.